Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, everything you need to know about the Ohio State Fair, which starts Wednesday. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Angela Ann talks with Ohio Lieutenant Governor John Husted about new rules coming for kids under the age of 16 who want to be on certain social media platforms. Then 10 TV's Lindsay Mills presents information about the special election coming up on August 8th at a new database in Ohio to compare guns and shell casings to see if they've been used in previous crimes. And we'll wrap up the hour with Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, discussing back-to-school vaccinations. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Alicia Schultz. She is the Assistant General Manager of the Ohio State Fair, which starts Wednesday. How are you? I'm great. Really excited to open these gates and get the fair started. You know, before we go any further, uh, how long have you been with the fair? You've been there a while now. I have. I've been here uh, full-time for about 12 years, but I was actually an intern back in college, too, and then many years before that, exhibited in my 4-H days, uh, showing my 4-H projects. So, you know, the fair, um, I'm, you know, it, it's got a, a long history in my heart. Yeah, that's great, because that means that even before you ever worked there, it, w- it was a big piece of your life every year. Exactly, exactly. You know, I have memories of walking along the viaduct and riding the rides and, you know, nervously showing my project to the state 4-H judges. (laughs) And that's something, you know, we're going to talk about the concerts and all that kind of stuff, but the junior fair aspect of it with the 4-Hers, it's one of the biggest fairs in the country, I understand. It really is. You know, whether that's the livestock shows that we have, and in fact, our livestock shows started uh, last Sunday, the the 16th, before the fair gates even opened. We had junior dogs here. Um, we had horses. We had four goats. We have llamas. So there are so many different livestock shows that we actually start those before the official fair opens. And then over the course of the fair, we have exhibitors from all 88 counties who are showing projects in a number of different areas like natural resources, photography, public speaking, you know, you name it, they're here showing their talents. That's tremendous. Uh, So opening day is Wednesday. What's going on that day, Alicia? Opening day. We're really excited. We're going to officially kick off the day, open the gates at 10 a.m. We'll have all of your favorite fair things going on, like the butter cow and calf and the mystery sculpture will have been unveiled. They'll be on display. We'll have entertainers. That night, we'll have a great big concert. We always uh, like to kick off the fair with the Kids Bop concert and the Celeste Center. And, you know, really, it's just a great day with lots of festivities, lots of food, lots of celebration of Ohio. And what about discounts for that day or uh, going forward in the fair? Yeah, so the best thing to do actually right now is to get your tickets in advance before the fair opens because um, fair admission at the gates is $12 for adults or $10 for kids and seniors, although kids five and under do get in free any day of the fair, as well as um, veterans and first responders get in free any day of the fair. But in advance, tickets are $8, and you can get those um, online at ohiostatefair.com, but the advance sale discount is only valid through Tuesday, July 25th. You need to get them now, but what's great is that they're valid any day of the fair. So if you don't yet have exact plans of which day you plan to come, you can 
purchase the tickets and it'll save them in your Ticketmaster wallet or, you know, in your uh, Apple wallet or your Google wallet on your phone. And then you can just show that at the gates any day you attend. Okay. And in previous years, you've always had some sort of uh, pretty much a daily promotion, kind of odd ways to get into the fair at a discount. Are those continuing? Yeah, we have a few different discount days. In fact, the second day of the fair, <clears throat> we have a Tell Ohio and Ronald McDonald House Charities Day, and it's really kind of a nice opportunity because you get a discount, you get a, a voucher for a buy one, get one discount, but you bring wish list items in that Ronald McDonald House could use, like um, canned food or plastic silverware or condiments or aluminum foil sandwich bags, that kind of thing. So by giving back, you get a discount to get into the fair. And in fact, you know, you buy one, get one free. Okay. And uh, as far as the fair itself, when you look at the overall event, what's new this year? We've got a lot of new things, you know, every year. Um, One of the things that I'm most excited about is we have the Ohio History Center in Ohio Village that are right here across 17th Avenue, um, a great neighbor of ours. And for the first time ever, both the Ohio Village and the Ohio History Center will be open for free for fairgoers every single day of the fair from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we'll have a direct shuttle that goes from our shuttle path right over to Ohio Village so you can get in with your fair hand stamp any day of the fair. And then Ohio Village and Ohio History Center members can actually show their card at the gate and get two free admissions to the Ohio State Fair. So really a great partnership with our neighbors over there that I think will add yet another attraction to the fair. But speaking of attractions, uh, we're really excited to have the Lady Houdini Aerial um, Escape Artist show back. But joining her on the same stage this year at different showtimes is uh, Laura J. She's a new performer. Her show's called Strong and Amazing, and she's actually originally from from Ohio, and I think that's one of the things that you'll really see woven into the fair e- even more this year than other years is that continued celebration of Ohio, that we've got new Ohio bands who are playing every single day of the fair. We've got um, the uh, Joe Mullins and the Radio Ramblers, a great bluegrass band from Xenia, who are doing two free shows on the second day of the fair at our Main Street stage. Um, and the entertainment continues, you know, kind of around every corner, whether that's traditional or new, we have one area that we're calling Entertainment Alley, where we'll have different pop-up performances from international acts. So we have uh, a German juggler who does shows, the farmer's daughter who's an acrobat, um, and the uh, major league show, which is a, a baseball kind of juggling show. So there's always a lot of different entertainers and fun different things around every corner. Talking with Alicia Schultz. She's the uh, assistant manager of the Ohio State Fair. So what about the big names coming in for the concerts? Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of great concerts coming up this year. And one of the things we do every year is really try to find those acts that are for every genre. So whether you're looking for comedy or classic rock, you know, we've got a lot of options. I mentioned earlier that we open the fair with Kids Bop. Uh, We also have Clint Black with special guest Emily Ann Roberts. We have Third Eye Blind, Keith Sweat with Genuine, Young Gravy and Baby No Money, Casting Crowns, Ludacris, Sticks with Fog Hat, Tyler Hubbard, he was um, in the band Florida Georgia Line with Matt Stell. 
We've got Jeff Dunham back again this year. He's always a fantastic fair concert. And we have uh, Lindsey Sterling with Walk Off the Earth. And then, of course, we've got a couple of free shows in the Celeste Center, too. We always have a concert with the All Ohio State Fair Band and Youth Choir, those uh, wonderful youth from across the state who come and perform throughout the fair. Uh, we also have a free Beatles tribute. Uh, it's called 1964, the tribute. And that is on Senior Day of the Fair, August 1st at 1. And then we always close it out with a Sale of Champions livestock auction. It's always interesting to me, uh, the concerts, because you know, when you're walking through the fairgrounds, you have no sense that there is a, a concert venue there that holds 10,000 people or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. It does hold 10,000 people. And, you know, it's it's really unique because it is an indoor air-conditioned venue. And so if it's super hot or if it happens to rain, you know, fear no more. You can still go inside and, and enjoy Sticks or Clint Back, Black or your favorite artist in the Celeste Center. What about going forward, any uh, concerts in the Crew Stadium? Is that the old Crew Stadium? Is that ever a possibility going forward? I think that's always a possibility. So we're continuing to look at that to see if we can find a great option for, you know, hopefully even the 2024 fair. There were some stories uh, a few weeks ago about legislators talking about moving the fair out of Columbus. We've also heard stories about big renovations coming to the fairgrounds. So which is it and what's happening? Great question. So uh, the fair is here to stay at its home since 1886 here uh, right in the heart of Columbus. We're very fortunate to be here. You know, it's, I mean, I-71 has been built around the grounds as we've evolved over time. And we're very fortunate that uh, Governor DeWine and the General Assembly um, have, you know, helped with some funding so that we'll be able to go into the first phase of our master plan. And we'll have a brand new entry gate coming into the fair that will be here for the 2025 Ohio State Fair, as well as a couple of new buildings throughout the grounds that will be opening in 2026. So we'll definitely have some great images out that fairgoers can see here so that while they're walking through this year's fair, um, it'll be the last year that they're able to visit the Taste of Ohio Cafe in its current form or the Ag and Hort building in its current form because those buildings will be removed to make way for some grander, newer buildings, um, including one that will combine the aspects of both the wonderful land and living exhibit with Farm Bureau and the Ohio's Agricultural Commodity Group serving food in the Taste of Ohio Cafe in one very large ag and hort building that will give you that entire holistic farm-to-fork experience. So we're really excited. The, the future here is very bright. And you've done uh, uh, some work over the years adding trees and adding some flood prevention efforts and that type of thing, right? That's right. I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's, it feels like there can never be enough shade. And it's amazing to look back at some of the trees we planted starting back in 2012 with Operation Shade and to see how large they've grown now. And they were um, really intentional when these were put in the ground because um, often it's difficult to plant trees in, you know, your typical concrete or street-type environment or a sidewalk. And there was this um, th- these things called silva cells that they planted the trees in so the roots weren't impacted and they were able to grow and it would help with stormwater runoff and the trees really have blossomed and it provides great shade Uh, as soon as you come in the entry gate you'll see a line of trees down the midway you'll see a wonderful line of trees and then you know we're always out here keeping an eye on all the rest of the trees throughout the entire property and the natural resources park of course um, it's a beautiful eight acre area and actually because of the quantity and variety of trees it's a level two arboretum. 
That's great. I know that that's one of the areas, uh, because it is kind of down in the corner there, some folks may not sometimes even be aware that it's there, and it's a great area for the kids. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, there's so many different free things that you can do there. There's a 14-foot-tall smoky bear that greets kids by name. There's free youth fishing where you can learn to fish, and you can even um, get it packaged up and take your fish home to eat later if you choose. There's a butterfly garden, a wildlife walk, a lot of different hands-on activities for kids in Natural Resources Park. And what we're really looking forward to with this master plan as well is that um, with some of the improved pathway, uh, you'll be able to better access natural resources parks. So we'll get a nice, nice clear path down there so everyone can enjoy the beauty of that park. Talking with Alicia Schultz, she's the assistant manager of the Ohio State Fair. What about the ride lineup this year? Yeah, we got a lot of great rides. It's funny, you know, I look out my window every day and see them being set up. We've got a couple of great big grand Ferris wheels, and we've got your traditional rides for kids and families where they can ride together, as well as the big, exciting rides that drop and spin, and working really closely with our amusement ride provider and the Ohio Department of Agriculture's Ride Safety Division to make sure that everything is safe and ready to roll for this year's fair. What's the wildest new food this year? Ooh, you know, that's a really good question. So there is a flaming Hot Cheeto cheeseburger um, <laughs> that, you know, I think sounds pretty wild. And we've also got uh, the um, Ohio Poultry Association is doing a new booth in the Taste of Ohio Cafe called Devilishly Good, where they're doing a ton of different flavors of deviled eggs. So they've got, you know, Mexican street corn, buffalo, all sorts of different deviled eggs. So I think that'll be an interesting one to watch. But um, although it's not wild, one thing that is really exciting this year, and, and we've not done it before, is um, we've partnered with Schmitz. They've, they're their longest running vendor here at the Ohio State Fair. They've been here for 109 years. And uh, we chatted with them and discussed doing an exclusive cream puff flavor that would only be available at the Ohio State Fair. And they have the genius idea to do a lemon shake-up flavor. So there will be a lemon shake-up uh, cream puff exclusively available only at the Ohio State Fair at the Schmitz locations. That's great. I haven't checked on this in recent years, but for you know, some of the folks who go, the, the families that, that maybe are lower income, are there areas to seek out where some of the beverages or some of the food is uh, cheaper than what you might normally find at a fair? Yeah, that's a great point. So there definitely are a few of those locations. There's some in Kitty Land, and we do have a food finder list on our website and on our mobile app where you can see all the different food locations. But traditionally in Kitty Land, there's a couple of great locations that have really inexpensive hot dogs and corn dogs. Um, but also knowing that, you know, sometimes that can be inaccessible for families to get food here. Um, you can bring in your own cooler and you can bring in your own beverages so long as they're not in glass containers. So you can, you know, pack a sack lunch with some sandwiches and some juice boxes or, you know, whatever you choose. Maybe splurge on a giant elephant ear or something to share as a family and you could, you know, plop down at a picnic table or spread out a cloth in Natural Resources Park and enjoy a meal at the fair um, if you aren't able to purchase from any of the food vendors. That's great. Uh, just a couple of minutes to go here with Alicia Schultz, the assistant fair manager for the Ohio State Fair. What about excessively hot or rainy days? What can folks do there to get away from it? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I'm going to knock on wood and cross my fingers that we have beautiful fair weather, but knowing that it is Ohio in late July and early August, anything can happen. And so we have a number of air-conditioned buildings that not only are air-conditioned if it's hot, but also can protect you from the rain or weather if there is any rainy weather. And having that partnership this year with Ohio Village and Ohio History Center opens up yet another great indoor air-conditioned attraction that people can enjoy when they visit the Ohio State Fair. Um, but also for those hot days, we have some misting stations located throughout the grounds, little tents where you can walk through and be misted and cool off. And like you and I talked about earlier, if it's really hot, going under the shade, in particular in Natural Resources Park, it's several degrees cooler than it is um, out in the direct sunlight. And so that's a great place to rest, relax, do some fishing, and enjoy some activities if it's a warm day. And then maybe pop into an air-conditioned building, you know, grab a cold drink, and, and walk around and peruse those buildings a little bit to balance your day at the fair. And we can't end without mentioning that your boss, this is his final fair, right? It is. So we are um, all incredibly sad to see uh, Virgil. He's been here for 30 years, 20 as general manager, our longest-running general manager. Um, you know, we're sad to see this as his last fair as general manager, but, you know, I, I jokingly talked to him. I, I know it's not going to be his last fair. not like he's never going to be back <laughs> here again. Uh, right. The fair's in his blood. Uh, he loves Ohio. He loves agriculture. And so I know he uh, he's going to savor every minute this year, and I know all of us on the team, all of our volunteers, everyone who's involved in the fair is going to take every opportunity we can to celebrate Virgil and everything he's done for this fair. So as Virgil Strickler steps down, there's, a, a, I know, a nationwide search for his replacement. Does a general manager of a fair, do they put their own stamp on a fair? Or does it, you know, what kind of control or power do they have over that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's a lot like an executive director of many other organizations. You know, he's essentially the CEO of our fair. Um, we do have a fantastic board of directors, the Ohio Expositions Commission, who is an advisory board who helps provide things, but without Virgil's leadership and, you know, helping make decisions and allowing the fair to grow with new attractions, new activities like our Little Farmers exhibit that we launched last year, those things wouldn't happen. So it really does take a, a great innovative leader um, to, to be the fair's general manager, or like I said, like a CEO of a company. Talking with Alicia Schultz, she's the assistant manager of the Ohio State Fair. Anything else you'd like to add? for this year's fair. It's going to be, you know, 12 days of fun, and I think it's really going to be uh, an experience to remember. So we hope all Ohioans will come out and celebrate with us July 26th through August 6th. Outstanding. Uh, Alicia, thanks so much for your time and the info. Thanks, Dave, for having me. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's 10 TV's Angela Ann. Well, inside the budget is a new law that Ohio government leaders believe will better protect children on social media. It covers everything from social platforms to gaming services. I sat down with the Lieutenant Governor, John Houston, to talk about the new set of rules behind this Parental Notification Act. Companies now have up until January to comply. What specifically are you asking these companies to do in the time being? We're asking them to stop going around parents to reach their, reach their children. We're going to say, hey, if the child is under 16, you must get parental notification 
uh, and permission before that child is allowed to be on your platform. And then additionally, at the moment they sign the child up, that they will be given an easy pathway to set the filters on that so that their child is not seeing anything that they deem inappropriate for their uh, little one. So are they creating specific new um, landing pages or check marks on their sites when a teen tries to sign up? It'll have these check marks before they yes, can... Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. They can do it in any manner that they want, but they have to meet the standard of verification that someone under the age of 16 has parental permission, uh, and then they must provide that landing page to set the filters so that uh, the the young people, that the parents can set the, the you know, hours of hours that they want them to be able to do it, the content moderation like PG-13 or something like that, any of those standards, they can set them at that time. What if these social media companies don't comply? Uh, well, then they'll be held accountable by the state of Ohio. The attorney general has the ability to bring legal action against them. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that it will never come to that because Ohio uh, was one of the first states to to propose this, but we're not the only state to pass it. Many other states are doing it. These companies are going to have to comply around the country eventually, mm -hmm. and uh, we hope that they'll use Ohio as a, as a way to get this right. A lot of people are saying that this is really a parenting issue and a parenting accountability issue that the states and governments should not step in. What do you say to that? Yeah, it is a parenting issue, and the tech companies shouldn't be able to go around the parents, mm -hmm. and what we're doing is empowering parents. Uh, this doesn't ban anything. Uh, this just says, hey, when you're signing up, someone under the age of 13, a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old, that you got to ask their parents first if they want that, and then give those parents the ability to, as I say, set the filters. But we hope beyond that. You say it's a parenting issue. It is a parenting issue. Don't wait until January to do this. Uh, look at your child's social media account right now. Do you have the proper filters on that? Are they using it too much? Are you letting them have it in their room alone at night? Things that, that the experts say you shouldn't do. Uh, because uh, even since we first talked about this, the Surgeon General came out with a report talking about how uh, children, very young children especially, are, are under great uh, harm. They see great harm coming to them from a, from a social-emotional point of view, a mental health, physical health, because they're inactive so much, and even academic decline as a result of too much use of social media. Social media can be a nice thing. It can create communities. It can give you uh, kinds of, uh, all kinds of good information, mm -hmm. but it also can be very abu can be abused and, and corrosive, and, and we don't want those things to get out of hand. Look, we've seen children, unfortunately, get caught up in sextortion cases, we've seen them get bullied, all kinds of things that have led to suicide, eating disorders, all kinds of things that are harmful. Um, these filters that you can set on there can prevent those things from happening, can prevent the abuse, and that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to make social media, get parents involved, and make social media a positive aspect of life and not the negative one that it's become. What happens if after a certain grace period, after January 15th, and we see this parental notification, it takes off, but we're still having similar issues or even worse in a year or two from now. What would you propose next? Yeah, well, look, this is the starting point. Again, this doesn't ban anything. This is about, hey, parents, 
you need to give the thumbs up before your child gets on these platforms, and we hope you'll set filters. I don't think this is going to solve all of the ills of social media, but I hope that it's A, getting the conversation going, B, going to get the companies to be more accountable, uh, and that children will be better for it. Well, this is a big step, and we appreciate that you chose 10TV to make that first announcement back in February. Yeah. When this idea first came about and people started, the buzz started happening. What is this and what's it about? And I yeah. think you started that conversation in many homes. In yeah, Ohio. well, I, I just said... Uh, technology's not supposed to run us. We're supposed to run our technology. <laughs> Don't let it control you. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much. Thank you. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. Here's Lindsay Mills from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Now on Face the State, Ohioans can cast their ballots in the contentious issue one. And in a somewhat unusual sight, the lines were out the door on the first day of early voting. Thanks for joining us for Face the State. I'm Lindsay Mills and for Tracy Townsend. 10 TV News reporter Kevin Landers kicks off our coverage this morning. Early voting has begun for the special August election starting August 8th. Now, while issue one would not flat out ban citizen initiated amendments, it would make them harder to get on the ballot and harder to pass if issue one passes. And while a lot has been made about the impact of this election on abortion, there are other interested parties looking at this issue for much different reasons. Ohio's farming community is supportive of issue one because it wants to make it harder for voters for citizen initiated livestock standards to get on the ballot and pass. They don't want what happened in California to happen in Ohio, where a citizen-initiated amendment mandated certain practices on livestock and blocked producers who didn't meet those standards from California's market. The Ohio Fraternal Order Police came out in opposition to Issue 1 because the union wants to reserve its ability to bring an amendment to the ballot if the legislature were to ever chip away collective bargaining or pass right-to-work laws that would weaken police unions' positions. We spoke to those waiting in line who are about to cast their vote. People have wondered about this August election, what the turnout will be because it's in the middle of summer. Are you okay with having an August election or do you think it should have been <laughs> I'm okay with having any election at any time. When uh, corrupt people do wrong, it's up to us to do what's right. And that's to get them out of office and put in people who are going to do what's right. Well, I prefer to have voting when the majority of people will turn out. I think that would give the most honest uh, evaluation of how people feel. The latest number from the Franklin County Board of Elections shows they've already processed 10,000 absentee ballots that will go out today. There are 25 fewer polling locations in Franklin County because some of those businesses already had prior commitments. Reporting from the Franklin County Board of Elections, Kevin Kevin Landers, 10TV News. And as Kevin mentioned, Issue 1 is also launching controversy when it comes to abortion in Ohio. 10TV's Tara Jabor was there this week as Democratic leaders held a rally against Issue 1. Democratic leaders stood together outside the Franklin County Board of Elections. They all want one thing, for people to vote no on Issue 1. This is the greatest affront to democracy in the state of Ohio's history. 
and the most important thing that you have ever voted on in your entire life. Make no mistake about it. Mayor Andrew Ginther says putting issue one on the ballot is bad for workers, women, and the democracy. He believes the people of Ohio won't let it pass. This attempt to take away the will of the people voters' rights. It's undemocratic. House Minority Leader Allison Russo says the special election is about reproductive rights. In November, abortion may be on the ballot for Ohio voters to decide. They are counting on voters being asleep on this issue, but I actually believe that voters are paying attention. And you see that yeah. here. Several people showed up on the first day to vote to ensure they're able to have their voice heard. I'm passionate about this issue because I'm passionate about democracy and about voting that everyone has an equal say in what goes on in their government. Others told us they came out to vote today to protect the weight of their vote. I think uh, this issue, one, I think is kind of a way that I think uh, legislators, legislatures try to take over and take away our vote. And so I'm voting no on issue one. Tara Jabor, 10TV News. The chairman of the Ohio GOP is encouraging Republicans to vote early. Alex Triantafilu says he already voted on issue one. He says raising the voter threshold will protect Ohioans' constitution from special interests. Here's what he had to say to those who think issue one is in response to the potential abortion measure on November's ballot. If you think this is only about one issue, I frankly, I think you should stop and listen to what we've said. And I think if if the abortion question weren't at issue, I think we would frankly have widespread support for what is a, just a very commonsensical good government measure to protect the foundational document of the state. And Triantafilo says if voters want to amend the state constitution, they should need broad support to do so. Ohio's U.S. Senators are sounding off on issue one from Washington. Senator Sherrod Brown tweeted this on Tuesday saying, quote, Ohio today is the first day of early voting for the August 8th special election. Vote no on issue one. Then the senator shared a link to polling locations in the state. As you may expect, Senator J.D. Vance shared different feelings. It might be abortion next year. It could be uh, legalization of drugs the year after that. It could be a particular corporate practice the year after that. It could be another social policy or a school policy the year after that. Uh, the way that we, we do things in Ohio, I think, is that we let our elected legislative representatives, they make most of the public policy. Uh, and then when we have a very strong sense of an issue and we can get 60% of us to come behind it, uh, then, of course, we can, we can let our voices be heard through the constitutional referendum process. And Senator Vance says he thinks issue one is about protecting the Constitution. Early voting is open every Monday through Friday leading up to August 8th and the first weekend in August. Go to your county board of elections to cast a vote and stay with Central Ohio's news leader for continuing coverage. We know companies like Intel are creating thousands of jobs here in Ohio. And this past week, we learned how that workforce will be trained fast. First Lady Jill Biden spoke in Columbus City Council Chambers, applauding the collaboration between Columbus State Community College and city leaders to train the workforce of the future. As part of the new Workforce Hub, launched Wednesday, Columbus State Community College will work with partners statewide to quadruple the number of students in engineering. And then this fall, the college is launching a new certification program developed with help from Intel for semiconductor technician jobs. 
The idea is to get people started and connected as soon as possible. They'll continue their education as they're working, but really having an earn and learn opportunity built into the uh, to the curriculum was intentional. I'm so excited to see how this work changes people's lives here in Columbus and in other hub regions. And those other hub regions include Augusta, Georgia, Baltimore, Phoenix, and Pittsburgh. There was a moment of contention at the U.S. Capitol over two words used on the House floor, and it involved a congresswoman from Ohio. My amendment has nothing to do with whether or not colored people or black people or anybody can serve, okay? It has nothing to do with color Mr. Speaker. Skin. Representative Eli Crane of Arizona used the term, as you just heard, colored people on the House floor. Ohio 3rd District Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, quickly responded. I'd like to be recognized to have the words colored people stricken uh, from the record. I find it offensive and very inappropriate. Is a gentlelady asking for unanimous consent to take down the words? I am asking for unanimous consent to take down the words of referring to me or any of my colleagues as colored people. Lawmakers were discussing a series of amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are now trying to figure out how to regulate artificial intelligence. Elon Musk announced his launch of his own artificial intelligence company this past week. Lawmakers say the fast-moving technology poses major threats to national security, the U.S. economy, and American jobs. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle agree artificial intelligence should be regulated. These hearings are not about any one thing. It's to get all 100 members to a level where when we start to legislate, we can try to do it the best way possible. It's going to put some people out of work. It'll create new jobs, but it's going to eliminate some jobs, and uh, it's going to have a real societal impact. Now, back in May, you may remember the CEO of the company behind ChatGPT proposed creating a new federal agency to regulate AI. And since then, a bill has, be, has been reintroduced to do just that, but it has not been voted on. Some social media users and headlines claim a new law signed by Governor DeSantis means Florida will start building roads with radioactive material. Our Verify team is digging into those claims coming up. Plus, tracing guns to save lives will show you new technology. Be honest, do you ever really put down your phone? If you're like most people, you need to charge your phone pretty often to keep up. Verify viewer Kathy emailed us to ask if it's true that you can impact the life of a battery by waiting to charge your phone until it's dead. So Kathy, let's verify. Does letting your phone's battery die before recharging extend the battery's lifespan? Our sources are cell phone makers Apple, Google, and Samsung, and Osa Ruman, even Ajaisu, with battery replacement franchise Batteries Plus. Most cell phone batteries are lithium ion, which requires a lot of energy to charge from dead to 20% and from 80 to 100%. Cell phone makers Apple, Samsung, and Google say the energy generates a lot of heat, which hurts the battery. If that's your common practice, that's not good for the life of the battery. All of our sources say it's best for the long-term health of lithium-ion batteries to keep a charge between 20 and 80%. Some new phones even limit or slow charging once your phone is at least 80% charged to help keep you from straining the battery. So, no, letting your phone's battery die before recharging does not extend the battery's lifespan. It can actually decrease it. 
The same advice goes for lithium-ion batteries that are used in power tools, appliances, and other electronics. To find out what kind of battery your device uses, check the instruction manual or label. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. The future depends on teachers. Every day, teachers are shaping our tomorrows, starting their students on journeys that will change the course of history. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who will make preventing pandemics their life's work, sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who will help combat climate change, and generating possibilities for a student who will be the first in their family to graduate college. It all starts with teachers who meet challenges with creativity, who reinvent education for the future, who work towards a school system that lifts up every child, regardless of race, income, or zip code, and who enable the full potential of our students, our communities, and our country. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Shape the future. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Lindsay Mills, courtesy of 10TV. It's just a matter of getting the equipment and the training and the scientists deployed with the police to fight back against this plague of gun violence that's just killing us. Tracing guns to help solve and prevent the same violent crimes, the state is investing millions of dollars on adding more NIBIN testing machines and technicians. NIBIN stands for the National Integrated Ballistics Information Network. It's the database used to compare guns and shell casings to see if they have been used in other crimes. In a story you'll only see on 10TV, Lacey Crisp got an inside look at the Crime Testing Center and Lab. Because it's um, kind of like a fingerprint for the gun. So it will be distinct to that gun exactly along with the firing pin impression itself. At BCI in London, expert technicians work on testing guns and their casings to help law enforcement solve crimes. We get really excited about stuff like that to be able to tell them like, hey, like, you know, you found these guns and we were able to link it to all of these different things. So like now you have some more information to go off of. BCI only had one Niven machine in the state until now. BCI just invested more than $9 million to ensure six Niven machines will be at BCI facilities across the state. How does something like Niven help track, trace, solve those gun crimes to maybe prevent more from happening? First of all, we know the people that use guns in crime don't just do them once and then are law-abiding citizens for, their, for the rest of their lives. Uh, they tend to be involved in uh, crime after crime. Uh, the violent crimes tend to be committed by a relatively small uh, group of folks. Attorney General David Yost is excited what this investment of technology will mean for crime prevention in your neighborhood. There's no question that we've got too much gun violence. We could talk all day about the causes and what we ought to do about it, but this is something we know we can do. We know what it will work. It's science-based. Any law enforcement department from across the state can now send guns, shell casings, or cartridges to the nearest BCI location for the testing. With the additional equipment, BCI is hoping to give detectives quick answers if those guns have been used in other crimes 
helping solve more cases. NIBIN expert Lauren Van Dyne says she was able to link several cases together. Detectives may have never known were related. And in total, we were able to link seven different Columbus cases together with those leads. And we were able to find the guns as well. Yo says this investment will also give larger departments like Columbus the ability to conduct the ballistic testing themselves. As this technology becomes more widely adopted by law enforcement, more available and accessible through VCI, having more machines, more technicians, more scientists that are working on it, and a bigger database, this has a major potential to cut over the next several years the rate of violent crime with guns. In London, with photojournalist Rich Yedlika, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. Crime Tracker 10 is always working to keep you and your family safe. You can use the Crime Tracker 10 tool at 10TV.com slash Crime Tracker 10. There's a new identity theft scheme going around nationwide, but it's also targeting Ohio, specifically your driver's license information. 10TV's Carly Dion explains what you need to know to protect your driver's license information. Criminals are using stolen information to gain access to BMV accounts to order a license under a new address. The director of the Department of Public Safety says this data breach can also lead to other problems. These criminals out there are incredibly sophisticated. Department of Public Safety Director Andy Wilson says this national identity theft scheme was first detected in Texas, with about 5,000 people being targeted before making its way to Ohio. We're very fortunate here in Ohio. We We caught it very early. Wilson says criminals are accessing people's identities to log into OHID accounts to change their address and then request a new driver's license be issued. I think what's incredibly important is they have not stolen those identities from an Ohio system. These thieves are using stolen information from an unknown source to then answer account security questions to access personal accounts. Wilson says they found about 90 attempts of this scheme in the Ohio system and were able to stop about 30 of them. They're now addressing the issue by by looking more closely for indicators of this criminal activity. We've been very successful in, in stopping this in, in its tracks. The BMV is sending out postcards to anyone who makes changes to their online profile, asking you to contact them if you did not make changes to your account. Wilson says if someone is able to use your identification, it can lead to other fraudulent activity. If I can go get an ID that uh, represents the BU, there's all kinds of things I can do. I can go open bank accounts. I can uh, you know, apply for lines of credit. So Wilson adds it's important to be vigilant. If this happens to you, contact the BMV and file a report with law enforcement. And keep in mind... If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. Wilson says with these resources in place, they believe it's unlikely additional fraudulent requests will be mailed. Carly Dion, 10TV News. And last year, our 10 Investigates team looked into the Ohio BMV and whether it was violating federal law by selling driver's data. You can read that full story by going to 10tv.com slash 10 investigates. We're learning where you might be able to charge your future electric car. We'll map out what we learned this week from state leaders coming up. And it's like riding a bike, an electric one, what you need to know to get funding to ride. 
Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light. And the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Lindsay Mills, courtesy of 10TV. Florida recently approved using a radioactive material to build roadways. Brandon Lewis from our National Verify team explains why you won't see it used anytime soon. Some social media users and headlines claim a new law signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis means Florida will start building roads with radioactive material. Several Verify viewers asked us whether this means Florida will start construction soon. Using these sources, we can verify that these posts and headlines are misleading. And here's why. In June, DeSantis signed House Bill 1191, which adds phosphogypsum to a list of recyclable materials that can be used to build roads. Phosphogypsum is a cement-like radioactive byproduct from the manufacturing of fertilizer. However, this doesn't mean the state will start using it immediately. First, the law requires Florida's Department of Transportation to demonstrate phosphogypsum actually works as a road material. If the DOT decides to move forward after testing, then Florida must ask the EPA for approval to use the material. In 2020, the EPA conditionally approved using phosphogypsum in road projects, but reversed its decision a year later amid concerns that it could expose the public and road construction workers to an unacceptably dangerous cancer risk. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. 27 new electric vehicle charging stations will soon be built here in Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine announced those stations earlier this week. They'll be installed no more than one mile off an interstate every 50 miles. Each site will include at least four charging ports. Right now, just over 52,000 Ohioans drive electric vehicles. As more Ohioans uh, purchase EVs, we want to make sure our infrastructure is prepared to accommodate them. We must provide uh, charging stations to all drivers uh, so all drivers can travel confidently anywhere in the state of Ohio. And the charging station sites are being developed as part of the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. Ohio is getting $18 million in funding for those stations. 
There is a push underway in Columbus to get folks moving. This past week was the first week people can apply for the new e-bike pilot program. If you're eligible, you can get a discount anywhere from $500 to $1,200. City Council announced the program as a way to make e-bikes more accessible to people, especially as more folks move to central Ohio. The 4th of July holiday has come and gone, but our Verify team is still getting questions about the flag and what's really appropriate to wear and when. Here's Abby Larico. Many of my fellow Americans love to wear their patriotism on their sleeves, sometimes literally. Search patriotic apparel and decor online and you'll see anything from overalls to bell bottoms to a tablecloth to a full suit and tie. For some, it's symbolic of love of country. For others, a sign of disrespect. So are American flag branded items like these a violation of flag code? We turn to the flag code and several other sources here to verify. When it comes to clothing, the flag code states, quote, the flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. And, quote, no part of the flag should ever be used as a costume or athletic uniform. But not everyone interprets that the same way. For example, the American Legion understanding is that only means an actual flag can't be used to make clothing. And that stars and stripes patterns are a good way to show someone's patriotism. What they're talking about is you're not supposed to cut a flag up and make a pair of pants out of it. The flag code also references disposable items. Paper napkins, for example, as items upon which the flag should never be, quote, printed or otherwise impressed upon. You don't want to see dirt smeared all over it or mustard from your hot dog uh, spilled on it or things like that. At the end of the day, July 4th or any other, the flag code is technically federal law but lacks enforcement mechanisms. A Congressional Research Service report on the topic defines the code as a set of guidelines that are declaratory and advisory only. There's no flag police out there that's going to come after you. So while the flag code itself may be up for interpretation, we can verify even clear violations are not criminal. It usually comes down to what was respectful and what's not. And the answer is respectful is in the eye of the beholder. With your verified, I'm Abby Larico. And we're always working to verify claims you see online or anywhere else. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or email us at verify at 10tv.com. The Mirth Project is a local nonprofit that links donors to the Christmas wish lists of at-risk teens. And many of the recipients are foster children. And this morning, we're seeing how the kindness of donors has come full circle. Here's 10TV's Angela Ann. Stepping inside your first apartment is a moment you cherish for most anyone. Hello. For Imani Turner, who just turned 23, this is my humble abode. She calls her new home a major upgrade in her life. Just being in foster care and also moving from home to home a lot of my childhood, I didn't really have that sense of stability growing up. Imani says she can now express her true self thanks to places like the Columbus Scholar House, a home specifically for former foster youth. She's also grateful to programs like the Mirth Project, which supported her with basic needs during her foster childhood. And then I got like some fun stuff, some comfort things, some clothes, and like, you know, all the good things, some snacks. Um, so it was really cool because um, I just, you know, got to celebrate Christmas in a different way than I usually do. I mean, it just feels like we're helping level the playing field, right? They get a new pair of Jordans, they might get a guitar. I mean, our donors, our people at Christmas time, they give them the things they need, like coats and sheets and blankets and towels, but also the things they wish for. Robin McAllister Zoss created the Mirth Project in 2017. You know, we look at them and say, what do you need? Because there are no blanket fixes here. 
Since then, she says the Mirth Project helped more than 2,000 foster kids. So right here, this is about healing hearts. Imani says through other Mirth Project programs like career coaching and rent supplement, she no longer feels dejected or disregarded. I definitely think that by 18, we still don't really know what we want to do, um, and we still need a lot of guidance. Which is why she's donating several of her original paintings. It's her way of giving back. So I just hope that, you know, my donation and what I'm doing is inspiring to someone else to just keep going, keep believing in yourself. And then we started partnering with area businesses to fill their community pantry. So on days when they don't have enough food on their own, they know they can find something downstairs. We've also partnered with Half Price Books and filled their shelves with books. Books. We have a garden outside now that they can like utilize to get fresh vegetables. Robin says she believes the Mirth Project is basically helping foster kids not only survive into adulthood, but thrive. <laughs> and Imani is living proof. And that was Angela Ann reporting. Thank you all for being with us here today. We'll see you back here next week. Take care. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Lindsay Mills, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Earlier this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference to talk about back-to-school vaccines. This runs about seven minutes. Here's Dr. Vanderhoff. It may seem hard to believe, but we're rapidly approaching back-to-school time. And as we think about the new school year, it's a very good time to consider our children's vaccinations and the impact they have on preventing illness. Despite the volumes of data that assure us that vaccines are safe and effective, too many of our children continue to suffer from some very serious vaccine-preventable childhood illnesses, illnesses that some might mistakenly think are just a part of the past. In Ohio, required school immunizations help protect our students from 10 preventable diseases diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, which is also known as whooping cough, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, also known as German measles, hepatitis B, varicella, which you may know as chickenpox, and meningitis. 
in the 2020 to 2021, as well as the 2021 to 2022 school years, the percentage of Ohio's children entering kindergarten who had all the required school immunizations actually declined. Now, some of this was likely due to the impact of COVID-19. Many people nationally missed routine well visits during the early days of the pandemic, and many schools were conducting remote learning, perhaps lessening the opportunity as well as the sense of urgency for parents to get their kids vaccinated. Nevertheless, I'm pleased to say that Ohio's kindergarten vaccination rates actually improved in the last school year, 2022 to 2023, which I am hoping is the beginning of an upward trend. However, the fact remains that nearly 10% of all Ohio's kindergartners, that's more than 12,000 children, were missing at least one required dose or had no immunization record on file during the past school year. Now, this puts too many kids at risk for developing serious illnesses, illnesses that plagued earlier generations, but thanks to routine childhood vaccinations, are now rarely even heard of. One example of the unfortunate return of a serious vaccine-preventable childhood illness occurred last year in New York, when a case of polio was diagnosed in an unvaccinated adult. Our parents and grandparents lived through a time of great fear of polio, a time in which this infectious disease caused paralysis in many children and was a truly frightful thing. Now, much closer to home, we suffered through a measles outbreak here in Ohio late last year. The outbreak affected 85 children, all unvaccinated. People forget how serious an illness measles is, underlined by the fact that about 40% of the children in our Ohio outbreak had to be hospitalized. Fortunately, no child died. But this is a bad illness, particularly for very young children, and it can lead to very serious complications. Polio and measles, though, are not the only threats. Getting a tetanus shot is so important to ensure against developing lockjaw, a severe and very painful illness. Whooping cough can be very serious for our youngest children. All of us who are about to have a newborn in our family or in our extended family should really make sure that the expectant mother and any adult who may have regular contact with the baby is up to date on the TDAP immunization. Now, if you don't have health insurance, or if your insurance doesn't cover vaccines, the Ohio Department of Health works to supply vaccines free of cost to providers enrolled in the Vaccines for Children program. It's a federally funded program that provides vaccines at no cost to children who might not otherwise be able to get vaccinated. To learn more about the program, please contact your local health department or the Ohio Department of Health's immunization program. Now, I mentioned earlier that about 10% of Ohio kindergartners are not fully immunized. We respect that people have questions about childhood vaccines and we encourage people 
to talk with their provider about the risks and benefits of vaccinations so they're able to make a well-informed decision for their child's best health. But the science is very clear on the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. For example, the two-dose MMR vaccine that protects against measles, mumps, and rubella has been proven to be 97% effective. Now, along those lines, I want to address a 25-year-old study that linked vaccines to autism. This study has not only been rebutted by numerous subsequent studies, a list of those, by the way, can be found on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website, but it also was retracted 13 years ago by the very same publication in which it was originally published, The Lancet, a British medical journal. That retraction cited an investigation by Britain's General Medical Council that found that the authors had acted unethically and had shown callous disregard for the children involved in their study. The fact is that vaccines substantially reduce your risk of developing numerous serious illnesses and are very practical and very important health interventions that we all can trust. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.